The green light is on. Is that better? Fantastic. Rachel said, uh, we've been learning patience, and we have. I'll beg your patience, too, because I'm going to read the whole chapter. I know we don't do this a whole lot, do sermons on whole chapters, though I know Josh has been preaching vigorously through the minor prophets. But I'm going to read this whole chapter, so please follow along. And as we go throughout the sermon, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we'll refer back to different parts again and again. Let's start our trek up this mountain, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs. In his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? 
It is he who sits above the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. God, we've already heard preaching. These questions convict our hearts. But now as we dig deeper into this text and we look to you, we ask for your help. We're reminded that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor are working in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake all night in vain. And unless you are here at work now, This act of preaching and our act of listening would be in vain. So come by your spirit. Awaken our minds and our hearts to see what you want us to see. Each person in this room, Lord, I know you have brought here for a reason today. You want them to see more of you. And may it be, may it be, in Jesus' name we pray. I think you might agree, we could spend days, we could do a whole sermon series on a text like this, but we do have to limit ourselves. And so I'm gonna look at two things here. I want us to look at God's revelation of his greatness and our question of significance. We're gonna look first at God's revelation of his greatness and then our question of significance. You see, one of the best questions that we can ask when we read the Bible is, what does this tell me about God? And yet, it tends to be the question that we ask the least. It's not the only question we should ask, but I think it should be one of the first because it helps us get the right perspective. J. Oswald Sanders cautions this, though. He says, quote, when we pray for a vision of God, what are we expecting? A glowing vision in the sky? A blinding flash of glory such that which overwhelms Saul of Tarsus? a thrilling, overpowering sense of spiritual exaltation. A study of the visions of God recorded in scripture gives us quite a different picture. 
In not one case did the vision immediately result in elation and ecstasy. With absolute consistency, it produced in those to whom it came profound self-abasement. In every instance, the experience was awful, not ecstatic. And the more intense the vision, the more complete the prostration before God. End quote. And yet we live in this increasing culture of triviality, don't we? I mean, everything is awesome. Smiley face emoji, right? We live in this Instagram world where Sadly, young people are beginning to compare themselves and go talk to plastic surgeons because they want to get their nose fixed because they don't like how it looks in their selfie. We live in a world of monumental debt where people are going further and further into debt just to keep up appearances, to have that kind of car, that kind of house, to live over here, to look a certain way. I think we're really far from this kind of self-abasement that Oswald Sanders is talking about here. We need a compelling vision of God so that we can then be ambassadors of that vision to our society. The prophet Isaiah paints for us that monumental vision, doesn't he? And this is from over two millennia ago, well over two millennia ago. But I think what he preaches is still very relevant today. He describes in verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. Why? And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, we've been driving a lot this past year. I haven't calculated the miles. I think we've been in, what, almost 30-some-odd states in this past, uh, definitely in the past two years since we began this journey, traveling about, speaking to churches, meeting with people, inviting them to get involved in the work of Bible translation. And in the process, we've got to enjoy seeing beautiful parts of this country. But you know what? In, tax, in Texas, where we live, it's pretty flat. And so this past summer, as we were driving back here, I enjoyed getting back into the hills, Right? I enjoyed coming back to Kentucky, and we were coming around one bend, coming down you know, one of those hills where you can't really see where the road goes, and I was awestruck as we came around this bend, and I started going up straight into this mountain, and yet conveniently, somebody had cut away a whole section of the mountain, so, so when we finally passed through on both sides, the mountain went up for about 60 or 70 feet over here, and 60 or 70 feet over there, and I'm thinking, wow, they cut this right for me to go through this mountain, didn't they? No, not just for me. And yet what happens when God comes? Does he just cut his way through mountains? No. They get flattened. The mountains bow down when the king comes. The valleys, God doesn't have to go down the valley and up the other side. They get right up. They stand up in the presence of their king. The whole of creation recognizes who is coming. Why? God wants to reveal himself. And it's a certainty. All flesh will see it together. So let's see what he wants to reveal about himself. I think one of the first things we're going to see here is that our God is immense. 
Our God is immense. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who can reach down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench? 36,000 feet down. It's so deep that if we submerged Mount Everest, there would still be a mile to get to the surface of the ocean. And that's just a little sliver of the Pacific Ocean Basin. And he can hold it all in the hollow of his hand? Oh yeah, don't, don't worry, he's got two hands. He can hold all the oceans in all the planets in all the world, so we don't have to worry about that. Don't worry, he's big enough. Our God is immense. Verse 12, who has marked off the heavens with a span? Just like this, the distance between your fingers. You see, we live in this thin little layer of the atmosphere. It's about four to 12 miles thick. It's called the troposphere. And above that, there's the stratosphere. It goes up for about 30 miles or so, and that's the realm of clouds and jetliners, the, 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 what we can see up there. But above that, then, is the mesosphere. It's about 20 miles thick. This is where the temperature gets down to negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit, so that the meteors that would come crashing down on the earth are burned up. Then above that's the thermosphere. It's about 50 to 300 miles above the surface of the planets. The temperatures get over 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is the little blanket that God designed to keep you and I comfortable so we can live on this planet. And we live in this little thin slice right here on the earth. He marks it off with his fingers. Our God is immense. We could look at every verse in this passage, but time doesn't permit us to talk about how 14,000 foot mountains are just something he weighs on the kitchen scale, verse 12, or how the compendium of all human knowledge is like a little USB flash drive that you and I can put information on, verse 13, or how the quandaries of human justice look like a little playground fight to him, verse 14. Or maybe how he counts the seven quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand and how he names each of the 70,000 million, million, million stars. Verses 15 and 26. Needless to say, our God is immense. But he's not just a big oaf in the sky. Oh no, he's not just a big God. Our God is also sovereign. You see, economists predict that this year, the gross world product will be about $88 trillion. Okay, that's quite a bit. Each year, our world, our planet, grows about 2.5 billion tons of grain. Approximately 150 million tons of textiles are produced. About 70 million automobiles are produced in a year's time. And in 2018, over 1.2 million building permits were granted for new construction projects in the United States alone. Just think about all the busy, busy work that goes on in all those areas of farming, manufacturing, construction. Who can oversee all of that? Our God can. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket compared with our sovereign God. Our busyness appears like grasshoppers running around in a field to the one who presides over everything. Our God is sovereign. Today, nearly 28 million military personnel stand ready at arms around the world. 
And yet scientists estimate that only about 100 of the 15,000 nuclear warheads would be needed to end human life as we know it. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before God. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns. Let the nations, oh, all these mighty nations, let them tremble. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens, and all that he desires, he does. Or Job 9.12, who will say to him, what are you doing? No one. Our God is sovereign, sovereign over all things. Now, how does he get this sovereignty? Well, by virtue of the fact, as our text proclaimed, our God is creator. He's immense. He is sovereign over all because he is the creator. April 10, 2019, scientists released the first ever image of a black hole. It's 6.5 billion times the size of our sun, and it's 55 million light years away from Earth. And the, the reporters help us recall what a black hole is, right? A black hole is a region of space so dense and compact that it creates this gravitational pull such that no matter and not even light can escape from it. Now to capture this image you call a picture of the black hole, it required synchronizing numerous radio telescopes on multiple continents, which all sent their data to supercomputers programmed to compile, well, what I saw was kind of like a fuzzy photograph. It's a remarkable human achievement. It's mankind mimicking its creator. But I think we'd be remiss to marvel at the human engineering if we didn't marvel at the one who made the black hole. You see, it's taken us thousands of years of collective human knowledge and advancement to get a fuzzy picture of this galactic giant. And yet, supposedly, black holes exist at the center of each of the over 100 billion galaxies throughout the observable universe. And God spoke, and it was. What kind of power are we dealing with when we pray? when we read his word. What kind of mind does he possess? He says it here, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Our God is creator. We could talk more and more about the galactic giants and we go deeper into this world around us. We see amazing things as well, don't we? cells, molecules, atoms, and now we can talk about these little bitty things called quarks and leptons, and we're still not to the bottom of figuring out how all of this is held together in the universe. But it's not just these microscopic building blocks that are amazing. It's how they're put together. The same building blocks, and God can create crystal clear diamonds in the heart of the earth, and on the one hand, use the same building blocks and create a blue whale in the heart of the ocean, most of which we've never seen either. I think it would blow our minds if we really got into the fact of the miracle of that brown liquid you all drank this morning. Coffee stuff, right? It starts as a seed. It grew on a tree. 
And that fruit was harvested just so that the fruit could be torn away to get to the seed. And then, we'll call them beans, right? They were processed, shipped, roasted, and ground to perfection for your delight. And yet, none of us really even pay much attention to the fact that where it grew on earth, the type of environment it grew in with the sun and the soil and all of the factors that went into producing the actual beans you get in a bag, all of that changes the taste. And then God gave you a nose and a mouth that could sense the difference between this light, citrusy African coffee and the, the roasty nuttiness of a Latin American. You're holding a miracle in your hand, and we dump French vanilla creamer into it, <laughs> right? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Our God is unimaginably great. He's unstoppable in his power to reign and unfathomably wonderful in what he's created. And his self-revelation is unavoidable. Remember verse five? All flesh will see his glory. You see, it's, it's not a question of will I have to reckon with this God? It's just a question of when will I have to reckon with this God? The New Testament says in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is coming Sure as the sun rises, Jesus, the creator, the sovereign, is coming back, and he will reckon with this world. Now he stands open with arms of mercy. One day he will come with a drawn sword. We're called to reckon with him now. You see, as little creatures on this little planet called Earth, there's a way that we should address a God like this. Revelation tells us, when it says, behold your God, we should see him and we should talk back to God like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to their God and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain so that his arms could be open right now and not have to stand there with a sword. You see, he paid with his blood before he would come to draw blood on the horrendous rebellion of humans like you and me. He did this to redeem us, to redeem us, as we sang in our songs earlier today, to ransom, to redeem, or if I can borrow the words from propaganda. You see, there's no rewind. There's only redeem. And brother, he's shown me the promised land and his beautiful scenery. You have been made alive. And if you're like me, you're thinking God's probably only tolerating you. Ain't you tired of running? Like that one more failure and the father pushes the eject button. But there's no rewind. There's only redeem. So grab your buckets and draw from the stream. You see that pile, that mountain-sized pile of putrid mess you done main things? You can't change. Only redeem. 
have reminded my soul, this isn't my home anymore. I was never made to crave the dust of earth. There's no rewind. There's only redeem. And to redeem this mess that we've made things, we need a redeemer. You see, all heaven right now is praising the immense, sovereign, creator, king, Jesus, and we're invited to join. We are invited to join. So if today you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, may it be that this is the first day that you join in that worship. And for those of you worshipers here, may our view of our king be ever enhanced. But he said we were not just gonna talk about God's revelation of himself, though that is so important. We need to see here what, in, what drew out this revelation. Why did Isaiah chapter 40 get put here? Look with me at verse 27. See, this is what prompted it. Verse 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Or to put it more simply, probably the way that you and I think about it in our heads, right? Does God even know what's going on with me? Does God even care? Does he really feel the pain I'm experiencing right now? I mean, this isn't really fair. If God really knows, can he even help? Can he even do anything? I don't know. You mean that God holds the oceans in his hands? The one who created that black hole so far away that's taken us thousands of years just to get a picture of it? The God who can take the mountains and put them in a scale and just see, oh, that's how much they weigh. Can he do anything about it? Sure he can. Sure he can. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding, it's unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Okay? Here we are. We're in this situation. Even youths faint and grow weary. We get tired. We get worn out. It's tough. It's painful sometimes. It's challenging. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Challenges are gonna come to us. Some of you are in the heat of them right now. Take texts like this. When you get tired and discouraged, go up on the mountain. Here's a mountain. If you don't know of any other mountain, today you know of one you can go up on and get that right perspective. Remember your station before God. Recall his greatness. Refresh in your mind this vision and then wait on him. Put your hope in him. You see, I hope you understand that I'm preaching this sermon to myself too. The reason I wanted to share this message with our church coming back here is because it's one we've been preaching to ourselves for over a year now. It's been over two years since we started this crazy journey of faith that you heard Rachel talk about a little bit earlier. The, team, uh, the task of building a team of ministry partners so we can go out and do the work of Bible translation. In these two years, we've spoken to dozens of churches. We've contacted hundreds of no joke, hundreds of people. We've traversed this country at least two, if not three times, all the way from eastern New York to Portland, Oregon. We've moved to a new state, 
and we've begun training for what's next. My wife has been a wonder, my kids have been travel warriors, and praise God, we recently reached that goal. And we are glad to be here to celebrate that with our home church. But we've faced a few challenges, and we've had, this message has meant a lot to me. You see, it's been two years of learning to get over myself. There's a reason it took two years, because I'm stubborn. In other words, this question in verse 27 is not just something that people were asking 2,000 plus years ago. It's a question I've been struggling with for the past two years. And maybe if you get a chance later on today and this week, you'll think about how this question relates to you. How do we ask this question of God? My way, is it hidden from God? Does he even know what's going on with me? Does he even care? Most of you haven't had to have the experience of asking other people to give of their financial resources so that you can live, so that you can go and do the work God's called you to do. And granted, most people won't need to do that. The way God's ordered the world is that we work and we live off of what we've worked for. And yet for a few of us, that's what we have to do. We have to rely on the body of Christ to join in the work. And yet, every time it came to it, it started to feel like I was asking people to give me money. And how small-minded was that? I was looking at this task I'd be given, and all I could focus on was me. All I could see was myself. And yet, friends, what we were doing is we were going about asking people to get involved in the work of Bible translation so that the 1,600 languages that still don't have a word from the scriptures translated into something that they fully understand could actually read God's word, could hear this message that you're hearing today. It's been over 2,000 years, and they still haven't heard the Sermon on the Mount. They haven't known any of the promises of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. It's been over 2,000 years since we had the fullness of the Bible. They've still never heard, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They've never heard a clear call to repent of their sins and turn to the Creator who became a merciful Savior, but who is one day coming back in flaming fire to judge the living and the dead. They've never heard this because nobody has ever translated the message so that they could hear it. And I'm here fighting with my flesh and the devil to stop focusing on myself. You can see why I needed this text the past few years. How do you need this text? How do you need a bigger vision of God so that you can trust him more with what he's called you to do each day? I think once we get the right perspective and he gives us a proper view of ourselves in relation to him and the world that he's created, we start to live as a reflection of his glory. This past summer, I came across a quote by Hudson Taylor that was incredibly encouraging to me. Hudson Taylor was the founder of China Inland Mission, which is now, uh, I think, Overseas Missions Fellowship. And uh, he's one of those modern examples of what it means to live by faith. If you want a biography or something to read, go grab that and look at his life. But this is what he said that encouraged me. God prepares us for what he's preparing for us. Yeah, you can probably memorize that. God prepares us for what he's preparing for us. In other words, God's getting you ready 
for what he's got planned next. Isn't that good news? And yet, how does he do that? Well, typically, it's God has ordained pain and struggle today so that we're ready for tomorrow's challenges. That doesn't sound quite as nice. (laughs) God's ordained pain and challenge and struggle today so that we're better, stronger, more ready for tomorrow's challenges. God's training us for the battle ahead that he knows he wants us to fight. He wants us to be ready. He has planned something for us, and he's getting us ready. The creator doesn't make us stronger by making life easy. He makes us stronger by taking us through challenges, teaching us to look to him, to hope in him, and lean on his strength. So when when you and I are tempted to let the spotlight fall on us, and then question the goodness of God. Let's remember this text. Let's remember he's the everlasting God, and we're like the falling leaves outside. Let's remember that his understanding is unsearchable, and we're only starting to read the encyclopedia of his revelation. He is inexhaustible in his strength and his resources that are available. We just get tired. But let's also remember that he's the God who came, who redeems, so that he can give power to those that wait on him. Life is about God. The universe is about declaring his glory. His plan to reveal himself to all flesh will not be stopped. So when you're tempted to forget about this mountain, when that little glowing three by five screen in your hand starts to try to dictate your life as it does, Let's remember these words, all flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely we're grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this word declares unapologetically that life is about God. And when we get our little lives in orbit around the sun and stop pretending like we're the center of the universe. When we find our joy, our hope in him, that's when, that's when everything is running right. So, Fairdale, hope in Jesus Christ, the everlasting God, the immense, sovereign creator, because he will not fail you. Let's pray. God, I'm too finite and frail to even communicate this message well, but I'm glad your spirit is here to communicate it to our hearts. Now teach us how you want us to respond. Show us, Lord, where we've errantly been asking this question about how significant we are and been missing how great you are. I pray for those today that are struggling, that they would learn to hope in you, that you would give them hearts that wait on you because you are the everlasting God. And we pray through Jesus our Savior, amen.